I, I just want to get by and make some art and like be a good person and enrich other people's lives mm-hmm. and you know love authentically and don't hurt anybody and I marry the love you know the love of my life and as long as you know and this might be naive as well but as long as th- there's some real fortifying emotional content to cultivate with another person or people for that matter yeah maybe I work at the sign store mm-hmm. for how that's what I'm qualified to do until I cultivate some other skills mm-hmm. my daddy wants you to know a lot of the episodes have mostly clean language but this episode has some words in it that aren't meant for all ages so if you have kids like me in your house you may want to put some headphones on for this one you've been warned done 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 karibuni which is welcome in swahili Welcome, everybody, to the Daddy Unscripted podcast. My name is Tim Wheaton. I am the podcast creator and the host. And I'll just let you guys know, because there are definitely going to be some new people here to listen to this episode with Tom Keeley. I just open every episode with a welcome in a different language, because that's my way of helping make the world a smaller place where we're all able to say welcome to one another in each other's languages or something like that. But anyways, welcome to the Daddy Unscripted podcast. If you are here for the first time, I'm very excited to have you be a part of this conversation with Tom and myself. Tom is the guitarist of the band Thursday, which is fairly recently reunited, I guess you would say. And Tom and the band Thursday are actually about to go out on the road. They start their uh, tour for this year out in March in Australia, and then they'll be working their way back through the United States after that. And I'm actually really excited to go see them in April. So if you are able to get yourself to a show, make sure you do that. Check them out Thursday.net to find out when they're playing. But in this episode, Tom and I are talking not so much about his band and music. We're talking a lot more about his childhood, his time with his parents, his dad and his mom, and uh, separately as well as together, and what that brought to his table with him becoming a new dad within the last two years and the difficulties of that role change for him and how he does that amongst being a, let's just say it, being a rock star. So without too much further information and just so you can listen to him tell his story, let's get right to the episode with Tom Keeley. There were some good some good life lessons in that, especially men, as you learn how to be very sure about zipping up your zipper. <laughs> yeah. Those other important life lessons you may not get from Oh, to bring it to the podcast that you may not have gotten that from your dad. I don't think my dad ever told me, make sure that you are zipping your zipper up slowly yeah. if you're going commando. You know, I, I feel like that might be something my dad actually said to me. One of the, oh, one, yeah. one of the few things the he gems. actually warned me about, you know, I, I've now that I'm a dad, I've been cultivating my catalog of awful dad jokes, much to, much to the oh. chagrin of my wife who will not humor them whatsoever. Oh, and she's got so many more years to live through those. 
man, it's as far as the legal system in Maryland is concerned, it's she's at least 50% <laughs> obligated to humor my insufferable. <laughs> yeah. Uh, stunted, stunted, or what is it when you stop growing as an emotional person? Uh, basically, my, my base, you hit 27 and everything. Everything starts slowly unraveling so slow that you don't even notice it until 15 years later, you look back and you're like, oh crap, this whole time, that's my, my underwear has been showing this whole time or whatever it is. Which is so funny because if you think about when, and I don't remember the actual facts and figures on this, and I don't have, I haven't hired a fact checker for my podcast yet, but the, when your brain is actually fully formed is something like. 20 or 20 maybe it's 22 for men or something like that so the amount of time that you have from hitting your fully formed brain to when that starts to erode is so minimal oh god we should have more time that's so sad it must be true yeah (laughs) to each his own on when everything starts kind of evaporating and eroding but uh supposedly yeah the fully formed brain is like Somewhere between 20 and 23. See, that, that makes me think of two things. One, why did I work so hard in my 20s like on self-improvement and like meditation and reading and all of this stuff? I had identified the things I, I didn't want to be in the world. And I spent my entire 20s trying to like work on my stuff. That's the first, I think like, oh, great. Like efforts and exercises in futility now that you mention it. And that's A and B, I heard somewhere once years ago a more comforting strangely more comforting concept that you are essentially who you are by the time you're six. <laughs> oh yeah. And yeah. and I'm like, I was a pretty good guy when I was six. Mm-hmm. I, could, I could I could deal with that. I've got a I've got a sense of innocence still, you know, uh, unlost, yeah. <laughs> untainted, <Right>. just like <laughs> You just kind of warned me that I have one year left to basically turn around my son. Oh, man. Dude, now's the time. Uh, (laughs) Well, they they also say uh, with kids who are like, you know, when do you have the big conversations with your kids about like drugs and sex and whatever else? mm -hmm. And... Uh, it's it. I think it it goes something along the lines of like if you if you're starting to think about having the conversation, you probably already should have had it. Yeah, yeah. Which is weird for me because my son is 18 months old, and I'm already thinking like, man, he's not ready to <laughs> talk yeah, about. I, this I don't stuff. think he's ready for this yet. Yeah, <laughs> I, I'm primed with all of my anxiety. I don't want to freak this kid out. But yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, now plus, I mean, that all has changed so much. A, since when I was walking uphill in the snow both ways, barefoot to school. Which you uh, were. You definitely were. <laughs> yeah, here in sunny Southern California. <laughs> um, we, you know, we didn't hear about any of that stuff until much later than they do nowadays. Right. I mean, it's it's scary to think about. And not, you know, across the globe and in every school and in every neighborhood. But in in general speak, I some of the stories that I hear about what kids are talking about and involved in at a very young age. I mean, look, like nowadays in high schools, 
not to scare any parents who aren't aware of this and who have high schoolers or are about to, but the fact that heroin is like the drug of choice of high school aged yeah. kids yeah. is ridiculous to me. Yeah. Like that was definitely the bad kids did that. And there weren't very many of them. It was like, mm-hmm. Oh, what's his face does that stay away. Yeah, you know, yeah. I recall my high school graduation day and, you know, I ran to the restroom right before the ceremony and, you know, these three kids who I've been going to school with for four years came out of the bathroom. I'm like, Oh yeah. Those are the heroin dudes standing on the precipice of the rest of our lives. And, you know, they're getting high on heroin. Yeah. Um, Thankfully I was always too terrified to even consider that a a viable reality. You know, heroin was like, it's terrifying. It is terrifying. It was terrifying. And I hope it's terrifying for, for, (laughs) <laughs> you know, my kid, yeah. uh, when it happens, but yeah, it's blase and, um, not, you know, we won't get into, uh, the systemic, ca- you know, causal elements at play with yes. pharma and blah, blah, blah. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's tragic. Yeah. It's the escalation and the boredom really like, uh, honestly, and, and it doesn't help how much everybody sees what everybody is doing across, you know, the world, really, because, you know, when you're in rural America in 1970, you're not necessarily knowing what they what other kids are trying and trying to ramp up what they are doing in New York City or whatever it may be. And you're just doing what you're doing. And then it's going from dropping mentos in a coke bottle <laughs> days to like you can get a high know. off of that no but <laughs> okay you can get an emotional high off of it it's explosive yeah um yeah no it's it's weird man I, you know i i spent a lot of my youth in rural new jersey and mm. uh middle school up until freshman year in high school like i was it was very rural new jersey you know one intersection town. Oh, wow. A hundred people live there. My class was like 35 or some odd kids. And then we would, you know, our school and a bunch of other schools would all be sent to um, the main high school in central, 100 and central. So you'd have four schools going to a more metropolitan area, which was also just farmland, undeveloped farmland. Mm-hmm. Um, but I moved, you know, my, my dad was, uh, the summer before my freshman year, I, I found out that we were moving to Flemington, New Jersey, which was the town where the high school was, 15 hmm. minutes up the road from the middle of the woods, Surgentsville, New Jersey, where we lived prior. And, you know, the it was fi- a 15-minute drive, but it was a, an actual town. You know, I moved out, and I found that the kids who stayed there through high school, just 15 minutes down the road, they were stuck in all of the cycles of like serious abuse, serious drug abuse, just mm-hmm. by, you know, you would think that a life of like living outside and fishing and, you know, doing right. farm stuff. I mean, I, I find it, <laughs> that sounds wonderful to me now, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> for for a, a anxiety riddled teen. Yeah. The, and those kids got, they went to our high school, but they lived in that, in the woods and they yeah. got stuck. They either became like computer engineers, widely successful people, or got really, really stuck 
Mm -hmm. So you're, you're living in New Jersey and you're born and raised there. What is your, has your family been there before you were born for a long time or no? Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's a little convoluted. My dad's family, as far back as I know, is New Jersey all the way. Yeah, great-grandparents, grandparents, you know, fairly picturesque, um, not without flaws, but, you know, like American dream family living in New Jersey. And mm-hmm. my mom, on the other hand, came from this weird world of old money and she was raised she had she's one of seven siblings they had seven nannies they lived in the philippines in north oh Korea. wow yeah it was it was a very different deal and they met my parents met in college got married um were married for a few years had had my sister and myself but as far as i've ever experienced you know they got divorced i think when i was two um and so we lived with my mom for the formative years, which I remember pretty vividly in Maryland. Uh, mm-hmm. her, her family had moved to Maryland on the Eastern shore while she was in college. And that, so that's where we were, my sister, myself, and my mom up until uh, we started moving more. We moved to North Carolina. We moved probably 15 or so times between my first memory and the start of third grade. Um, wow. Yeah. She was, that's yeah, a lot. Moved, yeah. It was, it was, it was fun. Um, crazy, but fun. And so, yeah, no, New Jersey, I, I'll say, I say when people ask me where I'm from, I, I first automatically say, Oh God, where am I from? And then I remember I spent the majority of my life from from 88 on, you know through college in New Jersey so really I'm from New Jersey mm-hmm. while my dad's family yes was firmly rooted there I don't completely identify with that <laughs> because it was such a such a cluster <laughs> in the beginning yeah did your dad separate from your family during that time when you were little yeah, it's uh it's weird. I don't really have any memories of of him. well, that's not true. I actually have a lot of memories of him. But yeah, I, I I've tried to dive through back through the the annals of history with various family members just so I can get a clearer picture of what was actually going on back then. And the sense that I get is that you know, dad was in New Jersey working for his dad at the accounting firm on the straight and narrow mom was and still is the you know quintessential woodstock flower child hmm. maybe rich kid i'm not exactly sure cuz you can't really get a straight answer from her how that comes into play but yeah they were they were you know they fell madly in love and the logistics of these two personality types coexisting long term sort of well led where it led they had to get they had to get separated and and uh yeah we stayed with mom and dad stayed in new jersey you know working mm-hmm. and uh it's weird because we were in i remember being in private school in kindergarten and first grade which now i come to learn of course is incredibly expensive and i'm i think like 
um, how did you do that? You were a, a bartender who was partying all the time. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. And so you realize the, you start to realize the reach of extended family and that support system. And, you know, because most of my memories are from after the time we were in, you know, shirt and tie private school and the time shortly after leaving that and going into the, the wilder reaches of feral, poor people life. <laughs> I'm sure you can attest uh, to, you know, the lack of regulation. Oh, yeah. <laughs> when we were young, young people, it was definitely, definitely feral. A lot of, a lot of moments in hindsight that I realized not only it's a miracle that I survived, but it's a, it's a miracle that anybody survived. Right. Yeah, that's the childhood of the 70s and 80s is riddled with people who are still here who really should have died in some silly stunt that they were doing. Oh, yeah. Unsupervised. Yeah, completely unsupervised. Not not like the parents were necessarily far away, but they just weren't looking at you. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, you I couldn't swim, but I was definitely doing lots of water stuff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> On the eastern shore of Maryland, you're kind of always near water. And uh, I mean, I can't count on one hand the number of events that transpired in my early years where I thought wow, I should have just died. I will never speak of this to anyone again, mm-hmm. ever, ever. No one will ever know. And I'll just pretend like it never happened. Um, <laughs> and hopefully yeah. not too many people saw it. Yeah, yeah. Well, no, yeah. One, ever, no one ever saw it. And, the, and if any friends were around when they saw it, I wasn't allowed to like hang out with them anymore. <laughs> right, right, right. You know, their parents somehow were paying attention to them, but mine weren't to me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so th- I was... Uh, considered i guess a bad kid even though i was just confused and like not trying to do bad stuff just no one ever told me you know don't walk out on that ice or don't ride your big wheel down the dock i had that i had that night rider big wheel with the skid out bar where you pull the brake oh, yeah. and you do that really cool 180 or 360 if you had enough speed as if just like uncontrollable inertia 360 like spinning out of control wasn't dangerous enough they had to add pyro (laughs) pyrotechnics yeah as you're saying all of that i'm thinking about the difference between some parents now and some parents then and i'm sure again like this this has the quality of some generalizations and whatnot but i think there are way more bubble wrap parents out there that that I see visibly than you know when I was a kid or when I was a teenager or even a young adult like there wasn't as much helicopter parenting going on I mean especially when I was a kid like even though my parents were fairly active and you know I was the youngest of eight so wow how many eyes do two parents have that's impossible to do basically yeah Oh, so we had a nanny when I was really little and, you know, we would have rotating nannies who watched us, but that was fairly, I I would say almost a joke with a few of them because they were young girls who, you know, I remember not seeing them at many different times and 
for for quite a while. I remember one of them. I have some very interesting memories from my nannies, and one I don't know how much I should get into. One, of, but one of them, her boyfriend uh, attempted suicide, and I was with her, and he had, I think potentially slit his wrists or whatever and there was we went to their home uh where they were and there was blood like all over the kitchen when we arrived and she didn't know anything had happened whatsoever and was like freaking out and i'm a i don't know maybe four-year-old kid oh. who's with her like witnessing all of this and so yeah welcome to the world little baby. <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> So the uh, quality of nannies that we were having, some of them, I should say, were uh, questionable. Yeah, man, that's that's crazy, dude. Yeah, that like I'm sorry that happened to you. That's like that's... cool first memories. Right, right, right. Yeah, <laughs> mom and dad. Thanks. This is, yeah, this is what authority figures are. Oh, it's funny, too, because my mom, you tell her, I tell her any of these stories. Actually, it was just she just turned 86 on Pearl Harbor Day. And two of my brothers and I went over and had lunch with her. And one of them was telling a story, maybe of him, like cheating on a test or something like that. And anytime anything negative comes out, my mom is like, please just, I don't want to hear about that stuff. I just, right. she loves living in this memory or dream world of everything was perfect and nothing happened on or off her watch that was untoward, you know? Well, of course, you know, these, these, these people who, who are in charge of us are, as I'm finding or experiencing now are clueless. You know, we're armed with information, whatever bit of information we could possibly need to find, we can find it in under a minute. You know, like I jokingly lament, you know, I never wore a seatbelt, never had a bike helmet, blah, blah, blah. Like no one was ever paying attention. That was only dialed up a thousand percent for them. You know, mm -hmm. like mm -hmm. I think of my mom, I tried to be mad at my mom for certain things as a, a 20 something and like actually had to sit down with her to like go over the laundry list of things that I thought, I thought we should address. Mm -hmm. And there's some stories there, but you know, the long story short of that specific interaction was like, Oh man, like you had it, you had it worse. Mm -hmm. Like your, your mom didn't even like you. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. You know, like your dad yeah. loved you. Your, you know, your mom was like, she wasn't, she wasn't trying to hang out with seven seven kids you know she told me stories of like being in the philippines and running across with her with her sister running across like an old-fashioned log jam like you know the logging industry where that you know you have all the the giant trees floating down the water mm -hmm. you know they would run across the channel run across oh, wow. the logs and saw a dead body you know the cops wow. the cops busted them and are like hey you entitled rich white people Mm -hmm. You want to see, you want, you want some reality? Like, look, look under this blanket. Here's a dead body. <laughs> oh, gosh. You know, like, and right. I think, you know, I used to sneak out a lot, <laughs> but it never, it never Not to got, that extent. Not to that level. Yeah. You know, but yeah, it's, it's crazy that the stuff that I worry about safety wise and like quality of life for my, my son, that these conditions that we want to provide for our children as 
you know, with the ages that we are in 2018, those just weren't considerations not too long ago mm-hmm. <laughs> in, in the mm-hmm. modern world, you know, kids, kids were, were supposed to figure it out. And I'll joke around with, I'll jokingly ask a friend or someone will jokingly mention to me, like, what did people do? And I think, well, they died. <laughs> right, right. Exactly. <laughs> you know, they got sick and they died or they didn't have the amenity that like made life better. They just suffered. <laughs> That's yeah. just what happened. But, yes. and, and the tough thing too is like, as you are now thinking about those things with your 18 month old, by the time he is five and mm. really like verbal and doing all of those things, how much different those things that you're kind of looking around and thinking about and seeing a five-year-old dealing with like how much of that is going to be accelerated or extinct or whatever when he is five. Man, this the stuff that I have on my le- my short list of things to worry about, mm-hmm. it's not even going to be like that's going to be rated G by the time yeah, he's dealing yeah. Modern world uh, dangers, uh, trials and tribulations. It's gonna. Right. I, I always thought, you know, growing up, like I'm gonna be such a cool dad. I'm gonna wear the same clothes I'm wearing right now, which I think are kind of cool. I'll never yeah. age. I'll always feel confident. I'll just teach my kid to be brave and blah blah blah. And you know, you get to now, and it's like, oh my god, I'm so scared. <laughs> like yeah. my clothes aren't cool anymore. Like <laughs> at least the, the least. <laughs> important of, of the entire list, my self-image, but, you know, but being prepared for what's to come, I, I really don't think that there's any way to do it based on any metric on most metrics I thought would be important. Right. I mean, there are some that will, that will hold true forever that are universal, but yeah, like heroin's going to be, uh, I don't know. There's going to be something way worse than heroin, way more insidious that I don't even know about. Yeah. I mean, there was that period of time with, bath salts for god's sake like (laughs) what are people gonna be coming up with to ingest or you know alter their state of mind for funsies that they just aren't really thinking through properly on oh there are possible consequences with this or whatever you know that's this i think for me as a parent that's kind of the scariest thing of like the immediacy of what an uh, okay answer can lead to, you know? Yeah. Well, and as long as people have been trying to get high, they've been using whatever is around them. Like, I think like, man, I'm sure my kid is going to experiment with something. I just hope it's like something classy. No, right. <laughs> like just don't do that cat spray, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> don't make me explain to the other parents I'm really sorry that my kid talked your kid into smoking cat urine. Yeah. You know, I don't know where he got that from. Kids will be kids. I'm like, I don't, I don't, kids are those kids? Like, kids yeah. will be kids in that way? That's, <laughs> yeah, that's insane. But it's, it happens. And I guess part of it is preemptively freaking yourself out to the point where nothing can, where you become inflappable. You know, mm-hmm. like, and I'm not saying by point to point wear and tear where you do every drug and you have every experience to where you're numb or been there, done that. But, you know, get creative, conceptualize, because when 
when you get a call to the office because your kid has gotten into some trouble in 15 years from now, it's probably going to be for something you're not prepared to deal with. <laughs> right. Well, and you, you do all that work to hopefully prep your children for making smart choices and the right decisions. But like, you're not, you know, parents, again, to the bath salt thing, 10 years ago, weren't sitting their kids down before that took place and saying, just in case you ever get the desire, like you probably shouldn't ingest bath salts or snort them. And, uh, you know, don't drink from the WD 40 can like, you know, there's those things of, okay, clearly these kind of things you should not be trying. And I'm hopeful that my kid doesn't, you know, try to, I don't know, melt down coins and, shove them in their veins and think that that's going to be cool. Well, I mean, I imagine, and I don't know yet because I obviously haven't had these conversations with my son, but you know, I've, I've talked about it with my wife who is way more intelligent than I am. And, you know, we've kind of, we haven't totally figured it out, but it's like, don't talk to your kid about drugs are bad. Drugs are this, you know, you're a bad person, you know, talk to the, talk to them about self-worth and, Mm -hmm everything that happens before they get the urge instill a sense of respect for others, respect for safety, respect for themselves, you know, do no harm, sort of like a Hippocratic oath. I'm imagining. Yeah. Yeah. You know, where you do no harm because those urges are going to happen whether you want them to or not. You can't really do anything about that. Right. My best guess is that you prime them with a good sense of self and like, you know, get a head on their shoulders. So when the urge inevitably, or whenever that, that intersection inevitably happens, they're not flying into it blind, like blase or cavalier, like whatever, like, you know, yeah. just this one time it's so dumb. It's like, well, yeah, well, the one time is the, is the one time with heroin in our generation and generations. Exactly. Before, like, that's all it takes. Yeah. That's why I say like that one time that you basically, sometimes we'll say, oh, okay, I'll try this. Like, and if I don't like it, then I won't do it again. Well, what if that you don't get that option again? Like hopefully your I'll try this is maybe just smoking a clove. Like it was when, yeah. when I was a teenager, you know, as opposed to uh, maybe I'll, maybe I won't love this speed ball that I'm about to try out <laughs> for one time, you know? Right. Well, I think that there's definitely instilling the fear of God. That's not useless you know like that's still a part of the equation there's stuff that you need to be so scared of that you never ever ever even consider trying it because it's so scary yeah you know for that very reason if no other that yeah one time you could just die and that's right like whoops (laughs) well that that was that what a bummer like now now you're dead great yeah that's why uh things like scared straight and uh what was it red asphalt exist right right (laughs) no and it's it's ridiculous to think of that as um, as the only educational tool, you know, because it's a spectrum, as with everything. Yeah. Every, everything is a spectrum. And but yeah, like the fear of of, of immediate death, that's definitely part of the equation. Um, yeah, we, we all benefit into a certain extent based on the fact that we're alive now. Right. right. We, we were so scared of certain things that we just didn't do them. And so we didn't die from them. Everything else is a more nuanced conversation. Anyway, 
We, anyway. uh, we, yeah, we <laughs> got out on a, a very side road there. So you are uh, going through all of those moves as a kid and you're dad is kind of staying put in in new jersey at that point while you guys are doing all of these uh, maneuvers to throughout what sounds like the eastern coast yes yeah it was uh eastern shore of maryland to baltimore to a couple places in north carolina and uh, it was uh, a lot of action packed into a very short period of time so it was my sister myself and my mother uh getting by um, transferring around. She was, you know, jumping from bartending gig to waitressing gig to mm-hmm. bartending gig and eventually landed in extras casting ah. in Wilmington, North Carolina, which it's an interesting industry down there, the film industry. Um, it was a foothold that she was able to, to, to snag and she kind of, you know, uh, stabilized, but leading up to the point where both my sister and I moved to New Jersey with my dad, she had she had done something called the EST training, which now it's called the forum. It's basically new age, um, you know, self-improvement, you know, self, self-help seminar kind of that was big with a lot of people who had been through rehab and 80s culture was big into like self-betterment and like getting to your core self, et cetera, et cetera, which I don't begrudge. I actually you know, believe in to an extent, like making yourself better. But um, she she fell in love with a guy who ended up casting a pretty long shadow over our lives for, for those years. It felt like a lifetime. Um, mm-hmm. And basically, as far as I know, took whatever money she had, either inherited or saved or somehow scrounged together. And, you know, he had convinced her that, they were going to change the world that he basically, I can, I, I liken him to a, like a cult leader. Cult. Wow. Yeah. yeah. And it was all, it was all painted as like, we're going to teach people how to do self-sustaining farms and zero mm. carbon emission footprint, et cetera, et cetera. And in the meantime, this guy's just a sociopath. Um, and she couldn't afford to have us anymore. So my dad stepped in at the time it was supposed to be temporary where we were just going to go up, to New Jersey for a year of school while she got back on her feet. And as it turns out, uh, it was just a better situation for us to be living with some semblance of structure. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I found out, I don't remember having, ever having a bedtime before living with my dad. I don't remember ever doing homework. I don't remember there being any rules. It was just sort of like, Hey, we're alive. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. now, now I'm on the beach. Now I'm playing video games. Now it's after dark and I haven't talked to my mom in, you know, for the entire day. I'm just like Mm -hmm. living, being a kid, living, running around. And when we moved in with my dad, it was like, Oh, like you can gain self-confidence from being good at things that you're assigned to do. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm playing little league baseball, doing homework. Like a total different lifestyle, basically. Yeah, completely, completely yeah. different in ways I can't even really quantify, like profound, profoundly different. So dad was out of the picture and then he was he was the picture. And we went from spending, you know, every day with our mother to spending summers with our mother. Mm-hmm. Uh, my sister did eventually end up going back to live with her once she was a freshman in high school. My dad had been had gotten remarried and my stepmother had a daughter who was 
he was a first grader. I was in fifth grade. Sister was a, a teenager. And my experience was like, oh, the, my parents fight a lot, but you know, I'm mostly okay. My sister, on the other hand, she experienced it very differently and felt compelled to move back in with, mm-hmm. with mom for a lot of pretty, pretty heavy reasons when we go back through the catalog of things to consider. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. So, so we were, we were tossed in, in, in a bunch of different directions. Um, but, but dad ended up being, um, for me at least, a pretty important or actually a critically important anchor. Mm-hmm. And then did your mom end up remarrying or marrying at all after that? No, no, no. no. I'll, I'll ask her occasionally like, mom, like she's a pretty, she's got a pretty unique situation and she's a pretty unique person in the world. And, you know, I, I take it for granted a lot of, th- I take for granted a lot of things with her. And then occasionally just a very pedestrian thought will come into my head. Like, why doesn't mom date? Mm-hmm. And, you know, I could come to, I could reach conclusions by thinking about it, about who she is in the world. I'm like, oh, be, it's so weird to think of mom going on dates, not because it's weird to think of your parents as people who go on dates, but just her as an individual, like, how would you ever get along with anybody? And, uh-huh. um, you know, <laughs> and I asked her, I'm like, mom, why don't you like, you know, get your, get your act together and like, on some dates like are you romantically interested in anyone she's like i have been but you know everyone's just awful <laughs> i'm like oh no <laughs> Ever, everyone's awful that's that's your uh that's that's where you where you've landed yeah yeah and she, you know she's not a negative person it, it, it's an incredibly negative thing to say or think but you know when i think of my mother i don't think of you know a dark cloud i think she's maybe i think of a tie-dye rainbow or something <laughs> she's <laughs> but you know yeah she's just She's flying solo hmm. through uh, until further notice. Um, yeah, yeah. And so then it's it's you and your dad and your stepmom and your new stepsister through to your high school years. Yeah. So so fourth grade until up through eighth grade, it was a fairly stable existence. Um, I think it was the longest I'd ever lived in one place with. Uh, well, it's the longest I ever had a nuclear family mm-hmm. uh, arrangement, you know, and it was, it was normal, like middle school, like running cross country, playing baseball, learning about skateboarding, not doing drugs, but knowing about like, learning about the stuff mm-hmm. and not really being in, in any mortal, immediate mortal danger. And I, I went to North Carolina for the summer before freshman year and came back and found out that we had moved. Hmm. Um, and that they were getting a divorce, which when I think about it now, and for a moment, I lamented the loss of my relationship with my stepsister because we were buddies and Mm -hmm. my stepmom, she was great, but you know, parental figures, uh, had, had kind of come into and out of the picture, you know, mom, mom's boyfriends at whatever time had come into and out of the picture, usually with more fanfare, than that which was present during this divorce process and moving process. So it was pretty unremarkable. I'm like, okay, well, now we live in this other town close to the town we just lived in. That's no longer my stepmother, but I'm really bummed I'm not going to see my my stepsister. And but you know, high school going to high school was exciting and there was enough to distract me from whatever uh, I was supposed to 
feel worse about (laughs) through that whole process. Yeah. And, you know, I guess chalk it up to the naive resilience of younger people. I think there's a lot of stuff that I am not pissed off about today because at the time, whenever, whatever upheaval was taking place or whatever tragedy was taking place, the overarching feeling was that it was a crazy adventure. Mm-hmm. And so I never felt like I was, I mean, I won't say I never felt like I wasn't in danger because there were definitely moments where I thought like, oh man, I definitely should have just died. But for the most <laughs> part, um, I, my, I am spared the burden of resentment and my parents are, have been spared the burden of my resentment because mm-hmm. I did for the most part feel loved. Mm-hmm. Um, I knew mom was, was eccentric and it was crazy and all this crazy stuff was happening, but it was super fun. You know, like we were human props in her like improv troupe and it was like really dark humor. Um, <laughs> you know, like that, and that's, that's, I'm not explaining it or doing it justice because it was cr- absolutely crazy. But, you know, for the most part, I just, she was laughing through the, through the entire experience. Mm-hmm when she wasn't crying on the floor, <laughs> she was right. mostly, mostly laughing through everything and had a, a great sense of humor. And so I, that's, that's what I gravitated toward and, and picked up on and decided to carry with me for the most part was that it was this really fun adventure where, I mean, rules weren't even on the radar. Like, I don't even know, I didn't even know what rules were. It was like, mm-hmm. oh, now, now I'm doing this crazy thing. Now we're moving here. Which is kind of, I mean, as a, as a kid, like, you know, obviously you look back at it differently now as an adult and as a as a parent that will also most likely change as well and take a new metamorphosis for you. But as a as a kid, like just like you're saying, you were loved through the whole thing and their response and their reaction and the way that they handled those things potentially made completely a, a different side of of the spectrum for your experience of it than it could have been potentially. Oh, well, yeah, and and even in as like a real time like let's consider me the the control group in the experiment. You know, my sister had had the polar opposite experience and she deals with it today. She didn't feel loved the entire time. She felt disenfranchised, marginalized, abandoned, betrayed. Mm. And I don't know if it was just that she, I mean, she's wickedly smart Mm -hmm. and incredibly sensitive and basically two years older than me. And it might have just been, you know, we were talking earlier about like these things, you reach these intersections in life whenever you do and you're, you're armed with whatever you got at that time. And she might have just been you know, I was two years younger, so maybe I was just two years more oblivious and not picking up on all the nuanced signals that she was and mm-hmm. internalizing them as deeply. I was kind of rolling with it and being like, all right, whatever, on to the next crazy adventure. And she was, I'm imagining, you know, feeling terrified and uncertain. And, you know, she's just two, she was two years more advanced in her, her growing up process that she just had she was scared of different things attuned to different things and i think that you know despite my oblivious resilience she 
was kind of, uh, I think, on the front lines emotionally on a lot of that stuff. And so the bad relationships that, you know, my mother may have had really affected her. And then into the the failed relationship that my dad was going through when we moved in with him, you know, I think that that really pushed her back into, uh, you know, basically escaping and going back to, to, to mom land where, you know, it might be painful, but at least there aren't, there aren't any rules to make it more difficult. Mm -hmm. (laughs) She could be a rebellious teenager and find herself on, on terms that she would design versus uh, adhering to a family and parental system that is broken anyway, is is falling apart, that she can see through. You know, why, why am I going to follow your rules? You guys don't even love each other. What are you going to teach me? <laughs> right, right. And and she may just have been at that correct, like even though it was only a two year difference, like the ages that she was experiencing them at. In comparison, she may just have been at that whether you look at it as the correct age or the incorrect age that she was having that much different of an experience. Plus she's a girl. Not to, that sounds super sexist, (laughs) but that sounds incredibly sexist, but you know what I mean? Like as I have a little girl and I have a little boy and again, this is still going to come off as kind of sexist, but uh, let's face it. Like we are from, where are we from? Are we from Venus? Girls are from uh, Mars and men are boys are from Venus. No, I think, I think we're Martians. Men and, are and from Mars. That's right. They're, yeah. they're Venetians. Yes. Um, Which sounds correct. Sounds incredibly exotic. Like Venus. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Venusians maybe. I don't Venusians. know. I like but, Venetians. Like Venetians. They're from Venice. Yeah. Girls are from Venice, dude. Yes. And <laughs> California. We're, yeah. We're Martians. <laughs> Yeah, we're just idiots. But like, uh, truly, like the the emotional experience during all of uh, adolescence and prepubescence and pubescence and teen year I mean, even into, into adult, it is a different experience emotionally for for the most part between the two different genders. And so she very much could have been experiencing that stuff so much differently, especially like somebody who is experiencing these things, whether it is from a dad or from a mom because of needing that different and not uh, part of her life to be fulfilled or however you might say it. Right. I'm not a psychologist, Tom, but no, Hey, we're all, we're all, you know, what is it? Monday? Is it I don't watch football. Is it, what's the quarterback after it's Oh, uh, Monday morning quarterback. Yeah, Monday morning quarterback. We're all Monday morning quarterbacks yeah. of our own existence and our, our loved one's existence. No, I, I think it's absolutely true that the, the male and female experience is inherently different to an extent. I think they definitely overlap in many ways. I don't think you're sexist. I think that there's empirical <laughs> evidence that that lay the foundation of, of the uh, hypothesis. Um, I think I think that was definitely part of it. And I think it was a perfect storm at that point in her life at whatever age you are when you're becoming a freshman in high school, 14, 15. You know, that hormonal crazy time with all these social constructs that you have to live up to or figure out how to abandon and all these things that you're navigating. And I think what really 
what really spiked the football for her was that she just had not had any guidance mm-hmm. in any shape or form the entire time. You know, I didn't, I didn't either, but you know, I was younger. I was dealing with lesser elements, lesser life elements. And I, I, right. I think like, you know, she didn't really get much role modeling from mom outside of like, be yourself and like be a free spirit, mm-hmm. embrace, embrace your eccentricities, which is vital. I think. Uh, a vital lesson. Yeah. But as far as like, how do you do this? How do you, how do you do school? Yeah. How do you push the envelope if you don't know where the envelope is? Yeah. And she, you know, she was like a, her potential to this day is just so insane. Like she's, she's so talented and so smart, but you know, just never had, never had parental guidance. And, you know, with my dad and his then wife and then, my stepsister, you know, it was, it was his wife's daughter and she definitely had a favorite, you know, this, this girl was in first grade and was pretty, pretty drama free. Mm -hmm. Whereas my sister was coming, was, was a firework raised by a firework. Right. Right. And so there was just, who's already well established in that. What is, what is your stepmom's ability to, or in her viewpoint, potentially, what is her ability to do anything that is a rock, like not clay anymore? Right, right. Yeah. And even, even, and I don't, I don't know that this is what she was thinking, but I can imagine even something as simple as like, you know, oh, well, you're, you're divorced. You're divorced and you're marrying my dad. Like, mm-hmm. what's your, what's your, why do I have to listen to you? Like, you've, mm-hmm. you've, you've, you've failed. failed already. Yeah. 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 Like, who are you, what are you going to teach me? And, you know, to be fair, I don't think she was trying to teach her anything. I think, um, I think, I think they, everyone was just kind of swallowing and trying to, trying to bury their disdain for the entire equation. Mm. And dad, you know, it's, it's so, it's so weird, man. Being prepared as a parent, you know, I used to, I, I, at 38, I still feel like I'm 17 years old for a number of reasons that, that makes sense. But just, I think that's just how it goes for some people. You know, I, I would see pictures of my dad, old photographs of my dad from before I was born, or I would find out it was like the year I was born. And it's, he's like standing in snow and he's got like a jean jacket on and he had like big curly Afro, you know, he weighed, he weighed like 135 pounds, had a oh, mustache, but he looked like dad. He looked yeah. like a dad. Yeah. You know, he's a child. He's 22 or 23 or whatever, early 20s. He's he's a he's a know nothing child who has a wife, a, ma- a marriage, two kids, and has to figure that out. And you know, I was in my yeah, I'd be in my like late 20s, and I'd stumble across a picture, and I would think, man, like, when am I gonna l- start looking like dad? Mm-hmm. When am I gonna start looking and feeling like an adult? Mm-hmm. And of course, it leads you to do stupid things like grow a big beard. And let's not get crazy. There's nothing wrong with growing a big beard, Tom. Hey, I the the six months it took me to grow a beard, I fully enjoyed every moment. <laughs> it did nothing for my emotional fortitude or no, sense of, yes. of capability. Um, <laughs> it, it it did accelerate my physical aging, right? <laughs> Probably, yeah. Yeah, I recall before I had the beard, I, I used to kind of, it's, it sounds ridiculous and maybe narcissistic, but I used to kind of look like a semi-attractive girl. <laughs> 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 I, 
nothing I, wrong with that. Yeah, yeah. Like cops and homeless people would be like, "Hey, ma'am, where'd you get that hat?" I'll be like, oh, oh, "I got it at Target." <laughs> hey, man, got it at the man shop. Yeah, yeah. Where did dads get their clothes? Yeah. And from that point in my life to like this existential crisis of like, when am I going to feel cap- like a capable adult? Mm-hmm. I was touring with my band and in a bad relationship and was like, well, I don't really have many people to impress. I've got time to like go down this rabbit hole where I grow this stupid beard and who knows, like maybe I'll learn something. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And so I grow this dumb beard for six months. And then finally I'm like, look in the mirror. I'm like, okay, I kind of look, kind of look older. I don't look Mm -hmm. like a semi-attractive girl. I look like a not so manly man with a dumb beard. I, I can shave this off. And I shaved it off. And I was like, I, my immediate thought was, oh no, like the gravity, the physical gravity of the beard pulled my face down and I'm melting. <laughs> like I accelerated my aging process. Anyway, it's a, I digress, but no, you know, like part of the reason I can't be really mad at my parents is I've at 38, like I think, well, you guys did this 10 years before I did it. Mm-hmm. Like when I was the age that you were when you had children, like I wasn't capable of doing anything. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like I was for all intents and purposes, a a middle school kid Mm -hmm. (laughs) who got, who got Mm -hmm. lucky, you know, with the the music stuff, like the system that I had built around myself, like I didn't have to learn how to be an adult. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I take anytime I feel like getting pissed in my own mind, one of my parents, I think, man, you guys were armed with less information, uh, raised by parents who were going off of even worse information mm-hmm. and s- stricter cultural norms that didn't necessarily facilitate, you know, a loving relationship with your parents. I mean, our parents were rebelling against their parents and right. were rebelling against the entire country at the time. So like that says a lot about who was raising them. And so, yeah, everyone kind of gets a pass in my book to a certain extent, as far as how do you be a good parent? And and when it comes down to it, really, like, just kind of like you touched on a little bit there, you can't be prepared for any of this. No, even with all of the information that we have. And for me, a lot of that really, really hit home when we had my daughter, because uh, she is extremely high functioning. So but she is autistic. Mm-hmm. And you know, we kind of had to throw out like half the ideas and plans and things that we thought we knew or were ready for because it was just basically garbage at that point because we had to learn a completely different way, let alone the fact that all of the stuff that we read and, and ingest and hear from other people and try to do to prepare like every kid is different and every parent is different and there is, you know, it's the human factor and, and you have to do what works for your kids. I've talked with so many parents, so many young parents about this and had so many, uh, not saying that again, I don't even play a psychologist on TV, but I talked to a lot of parents obviously because of this podcast, but as well, like I know a lot of people at that age and, mm-hmm. There, the one big thing I think one of the major things is the fear of allowing your child into your bed and right. the 
wanting to kick your child out of your bed. And that was a big thing for my wife and I, because we were like so many other people, like there's no way we're doing that. We are not going to let our kids be in bed with us. But if you're, if it's between you and your child potentially getting solid nights of sleep and you being completely at your wits end for potentially months on end because you're not getting any sleep and the same with your kid who doesn't really understand the logic of what you're trying to tell them about, Hey, you're tired and this is why this is happening and whatever. Like you kind of have to make things work sometimes so that you can be as healthy and helpful and, stable as possible too so yeah it's 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 pure survival Mm -hmm. honestly (laughs) and i don't i don't mean to sound melodramatic but no that is what it what it feels like we my wife and i were the same we're like okay we're gonna have healthy boundaries we're gonna teach this kid you know my wife comes from a family where you know they were raised the most important with the, the the tenant that the most important thing you can do for your child is to teach them how not to need you as soon as possible, mm-hmm. which I get like, yeah, you want your child to be a, a to grow into a strong, autonomous, self-sufficient being mm-hmm. who doesn't drain everyone around them. Yeah. 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 <laughs> you know, I've been, I've been a drain on my, my dad until, well, I mean, I think probably this year, maybe, um, <laughs> you know, I never learned that. Um, no, but it really is. It really is survival. Uh, and, and it, Cause if you're not sleeping, if you're sleep deprived, and I've, I've actually got a story for you about that specifically, if you're sleep deprived and you're just zombieing your way through daily existence, which I think you have to kind of go through, that's inevitable, but at a certain point it becomes unsustainable and then you got to kick into survival mode. And, um, you know, I read books, I read all the books and the first thing I forgot how to do, it was probably the most well-studied subject was how to do, uh, <laughs> the swaddle. Oh, yeah. You know? Oh, it's a gift. I was so amped to swaddle my kid for the first time. And I went to do it, and I'm like, well, which <laughs> which is what's left, what's right? Right. How many triangles am I supposed to have in this yes. blanket? Yeah. So many, so many triangles. And even, you know, and this is, this is a quick aside, but, like, systemically, like, the nurses who are the most well-meaning and, like, trained and, like, wonderful people, we had wonderful nurses. But we had, we were in the hospital for a, a, a number of days, and... Had, had a handful of nurses. They all work at the same place. They all have completely conflicting yep. concept of like proper procedure. Yep. I'm like, oh, so every, everyone is just making it up. Even the most educated, prepared, you know, trained, well-trained specialists are kind of just making it up, the human factor. Mm-hmm. But, you know, we've, we just got our son a big boy bed. Um, he was in a crib that he mostly rejected. The sleep deprivation was so intense that we just found ourselves like, okay, it started with like me going in to get to like, you know, fix him, change his diaper, whatever it was and put him Mm -hmm. back down to sleep. And then it turned into, okay, well, if I get up now at one, you know, I'm going to go back into bed and then get up every hour. Right. My wife, my wife isn't going to get any sleep and the whole family unit's going to just like disintegrate. Yeah. Yeah. And, And so we, we just went to like, okay, well, we'll keep trying, but if it's dire, this kid's going to sleep in between us, which yeah. is 
not something that we had wanted to do. Right. And it turns out he's flourishing. <laughs> yeah, he's, yeah. he's a strong, independent, like well-developed 18 month old. And I don't mean to advocate for one practice over the other, but you know, when he wakes up in the middle of the night, there's all this stuff that we see that we wouldn't otherwise see. Like we right. know our kid, we know our kid in a way, like he wakes up and he's got these funny jokes he's telling in his sleep or as he's waking up these little colors of his personality that would happen, you know, at best we would catch it through the baby monitor. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, we still know the cautionary tales. We still have an eye toward, you know, what we're told is responsible parent parenting. We still strive to like do what we identify as the right thing, but you have to kind of give, you kind of have to give up the ghost on certain child rearing topics if it's right for your family unit. Right. If you have to go to work the next day or you have to perform or do something important, even just be there for your kid in the morning while he's wide awake, you know, sometimes that means you're all sleeping next to each other. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There aren't many uh, kids who are 18 years old still sleeping in bed with their parents. So like. No, th- that's the other thing. Like these, You don't have to fear that. Yeah. Kids are resilient and they'll reach equilibrium on their own in a lot of respects. When my friend's. And family found out that we were having a child, you know, and friends with kids, they would say, get ready because you'll never be as exhausted as you are when you have your first child. Mm -hmm. And, you know, this was a year and a half ago, a little over a year and a half ago or whatever it was, two years ago when we were having these conversations. And I was super cavalier about it. I was thinking like, I've been in a touring band for the last, (laughs) you know, 15 years. I stay up past my bedtime all the time. Like... I know about staying up late and being tired. Like I got this and it turned into, I was so tired. I was laying in bed with my wife and like law and order was on and it was like week, week two or three. And she was still breastfeeding. And she said to me the way I remember it, she says, Hey, hey, Tom, can you run down to the kitchen and get some pump parts? get some of the gear. Like mm-hmm. my, my, my poor wife, she had like the gear that she had oh, throughout yeah. this whole process. So many things to plug into. And I remember it as, Hey Tom, can you please snore, 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 snore? I fell asleep. Oh. And so I, I, I snap to, I wake up and I think to myself, Oh, that's so rude. Mm-hmm. My wife has been going through this and I can't stay awake long enough to like help her. I better, I better, I heard breast pump parts. I'm going to run downstairs and get them. So I get out of bed, walk around the bed, go out the door, close the door behind me. And it's like sort of a long, dark hallway to the door at the top of the stairs. And as I'm walking down the hallway, I, I essentially fall asleep on my feet. And so I'm, I'm fully sleepwalking yeah. um, on this, you know, the task at hand is completely lost. Um, I'm sleepwalking and I start dreaming. I start dreaming that I'm in my kitchen and I'm hungry, which is not new. I've, I've been sleep eating since high school. Um, so it's like, I'm not alarmed. I'm like, yeah, whatever. I'm I'm hungry. Yeah. There's some fried chicken on the counter. I'm going to eat it. So in my dream, I grab the fried chicken, I take a bite and I think, wow, this fried chicken really tastes like blueberries. And it sort of, it sort of shakes me a little and I start waking up and it turns out that I am in fact in my kitchen in the middle of the night and I'm not eating chicken, but I'm eating a blueberry muffin. And my, my brain is like slowly turning on. I'm like, okay, that makes sense. You're just, you're just sleep eating. Mm-hmm. It's a blueberry muffin, but the kitchen's filled with smoke. What's that about? Oh, geez. 
And I start kind of like looking around left to right and I turn around and on the stove is my wife's laptop on the burner on high. I had taken her laptop and started cooking it. Oh my God. (laughs) Oh my God. And it was filling up the whole house with smoke and I snap out of it and run over, grab the laptop just as the sprinklers, not the sprinklers, but the smoke alarms go off. I burn all my fingertips. Wife, you know, three week old baby breathing in burnt computer fumes upstairs. Yeah. Potentially tragic mess ups. Yeah. And like, like fatal errors potentially. And it was because of sleep deprivation. And so, yeah, if you gotta, if you gotta snuggle with your kid safely, <laughs> yes. you know, figure out the mechanism to keep your kid from, from being rolled over on. Yeah. Uh, but you know, safeguard, safeguard the family bed. And if you have to do that until you're not a crazy person, you know, basically it's a miracle anyone survives. And I only insofar as these, one-off events happen like cooking your laptop or these these life lessons that you learn for the first time once i still feel i'm prepared to be a father mm-hmm. <laughs> but i know that i fixed the problem that happened yesterday yeah yeah exactly <laughs> you know like and my kid is happy <laughs> it's day to day it's phase to phase it's school year to school year you know it, it just ends up becoming a different thing that you're that they're going through that you're trying to assist them with and make it through on your own as well. You know, it's, we became very attached to the mantra of this too shall pass because we knew like our kid is teething and is growing, unfortunately five teeth at once right now. And this is going (laughs) to be complete hell for however long that takes and it's gonna suck really bad for a little while and then it's gonna stop yeah and then something else will happen exactly and yeah try and laugh like god man sense of humor is so vital yes totally (laughs) like when you're when your kid has thrown up in your mouth and peed on you (laughs) and pooped on you while you're trying to put him in the bathtub it's like well this is I wish this was in a Steve Martin movie yes. I grew up watching. Like, <laughs> yeah, totally. Which it was. It's, it's hilarious. It was. It, oh, it was. It Parenthood. was, wasn't it? Yeah. Parenthood. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know how. I don't know how parents with two kids do it. Mm-hmm. Let alone, you know, you were raised with. What oh, did you gosh. say? Youngest so, of eight. Youngest of eight. Yeah. Like. I, I, I'm the same way. I look at. I look at parents that have anything over than two, and I'm like, first of all, what have you done? Yeah. <laughs> and, and second of all, like, how do you do like you're outmanned? One like just literally. Like. Yeah. You are outmanned, like <laughs> on a binary level. <laughs> right. Yeah. So one of you is holding one and one of you is holding the other. What's that third, fourth, fifth, however manyth child doing and who is yeah. handling them and whatever. So it's like you can't just use your feet. Right, <laughs> like, right. Yeah. <laughs> You can to push uh, him out the door and stuff like that. Exactly. Yeah. That's about it. You're supposed to do that when he's when he's 18, when they're 18. Yeah, exactly. They say that that it's been scientifically proven that three children is on every level the most stressful version of child rearing. Like you could have eight kids, but three is like the magic number mm-hmm. for like level of impossibility. And uh that's apropos of nothing, but yeah. 
but stay away from three. You have once you have. I I have heard that from some people that said like once they went beyond three, it was no different than three. Like once they had five, right. it was the same thing as having three. And I was like, okay, but there's there are two more. You're aware of that, right? Like right. it's simple. Yeah. <laughs> I'm hoping that at some point you just kind of have a facility in place. Like you've got like a manned facility and your house is no longer home. It's like a place where everybody shows up to work to make the yeah. place run. Upper management. Yeah. Mid-level management. And then the, the seasonal, the seasonal help. At the <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Would, would you have fallen into like, I would have been seasonal help, probably. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. For the busy, busy, uh, for holiday seasons. Yeah. Well, I think the general synopsis of, of this conversation with you is, um, that parenting is completely a unique situation for every family. I think that that's such an important thing for people to remember and grasp. And I kind of joke around and I have actually apologized to some of our friends post haste that, before we had kids, when we had friends who did have kids and we would be like at a barbecue or something like that in the afternoon and they would say, oh, we have to leave because my kid has to take a nap. And we would, you know, kind of gently, oh, just stay like they can stay away. Just stick no. in the mud. <laughs> yeah. And they would be like, no, we have to stick to their schedule. And we would be like that after they would leave, you know, all of us non parents at that point would be like oh, that's so dumb like when we have kids yeah. we're not gonna you know we're we're in charge like not their schedule that's re- you just let them stay up longer or whatever and now you know i've apologized to them since and said i get it i completely understand and kudos to you for even having some kind of schedule like that but i know what it is like to have my kid who is just beside themselves tired and what that means for the rest of your day and or possibly next two days that you can leave a barbecue a little bit early to keep that from happening. Well, and like you go, once you have a kid, like you go from taking certain things for granted and having your vision, your like perfect vision about how you would do it. You go from that, that sort of cavalier attitude to, Thank you for having gone before me. Thank you for any knowledge that you could provide me on how you did X, Y, and Z. Like, I am sorry for being, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, silently judgmental uh, of you being tethered to this this miracle yeah, that I was yeah. seeing as an inconvenience for you. Yeah, like, it's a weird tribe. Yes. <laughs> the, 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 the parental tribe, you know, and it, it is really a lot of make it up as you go, because like we touched on before the people, you know, they, the proverbial, they have conflicting messaging about how you're supposed to do it. You know, your parent, our parents, uh, and theirs before them probably didn't do a very good job of arming, arming them with the right information or even helpful information on how to do it. Like my parents didn't tell me anything about having babies, right? you know? And so it is, it is a, Case by case, experience by experience, moment to moment, daily, uh, daily discovery. And it sounds, I'll, I'll reference my EST training, <laughs> um, which, which teaches you to be here now. Um, you can't, you can't not like 
you are the daily experience of having a child as far as I've gone through it is you're constantly pulled back into the intensity of whatever they're showing you or whatever they're they're hurting themselves or or saying something for the first time like every experience really is this like very vivid call to being exactly there in that moment <laughs> That's true. And, and then you and then i go back into like being a zombie and completely <laughs> exactly. uncon- unconscious exactly. <laughs> uh first step yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> and it and it is one of those things too i think that a lot of this we will never know so many things about how we did or how we are doing for 20, 30 years down the road, you know, because right. uh, your kid could tell you when they're your current age, like, hey, thanks for everything that you did. And thanks for teaching me this or or it may just be uh, in, a, in a lot of ways evident in some of the choices and decisions that they make, et cetera. So, right. Yeah. Well, and taking personal responsibility for like getting your, I don't know if you, can you curse on the podcast? You can, (laughs) you can curse. I put the little red E on there just just to make it available. Yeah. I've got some explicit content. Um, (laughs) Bring it. No, just for getting your shit together, you know, even as far as like future careers or, you know, I want to, you know, I had I had this moment where I'm like, crap, my kid's one day going to like wake up and be like, what does daddy do mm-hmm. for a living? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like we, we have a we have a pretty I mean, I bet it's probably more common than I'm aware of. But I out of college had, have been doing music for my living for, you know, since 2001. And uh, my wife, you know, is a is a partner at a law firm mm-hmm. and, you know, her her job is is nine to five every day and my job is like four months out of the year right in in a lot of ways like i'm mr mom um and you know as long as the band is going like i i I make a good income but it's non-traditional which is i think is probably an exciting lesson to teach your, your your child but also at some point it's like, I'm going to have to roll this into something else right, or right. figure out something else altogether. And cause if I don't, who knows what, if I don't, but I know he's at some point going to be like, well, what does dad do for a mm-hmm. living? And I, I don't want it, him to think you just can't do nothing. Like, obviously there's something, Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, future anxiety, like it's fine now, but these, yeah, just get your, get your, everyone has to get their shit together. And that's what these people, you know, you don't want to put too much responsibility on them, but this is one that you can just by proxy, like, yeah, this person exists. Therefore you need to exist at a different level than you're used to. Yeah. And maybe that's becoming an adult. I don't know if you ever, whoever feels prepared for whatever those next steps are. I certainly never have gone into a new endeavor with like confidence. Like I'm going to nail this like an adult. Mm. I'm going to like hit, hit home runs. It's like, I'm not prepared to do any. Right. Right. But I, you know, and I have a child, Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but you know, that, that loops back around to like, you know, my dad was an accountant. He wanted to be a photographer. He was to an extent. He, I'm sure he never felt like he was hitting home runs. Mm-hmm. You know, he went through a divorce with two kids. Right. <laughs> when does that confidence descend upon you? And I'm starting to realize it's like, oh, it's just some shit you got to make up. <laughs> and what do you, you know, what do you get the fulfillment from in your life? As you're saying, like he wanted to be a photographer and kind of was and 
was being an accountant and was right. a dad, but also going through these divorces. Where is his feeling of success and fulfillment coming from? What is he bleeding it out of? Well, I think, I mean, they lived in a in an old post office when they were married. He built a dark room, like was doing photography. And then two kids arrived, my sister and I. He went to work for his dad as an accountant and was miserable. And I try and piece that together too, because, you know, since then, 30 years later, he's been selling office furniture mm -hmm. and doing great. Mm -hmm. But he, as far as I can tell, he, he gleans inspiration and happiness and fulfillment from having, uh, not to make this about me, <laughs> but you know, like you are on the title of the episode though, Tom. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Oh, I suppose. So yeah, I, I can, I can do that. Um, <laughs> no, I think he, I think he gets a lot of fulfillment out of like, I don't want to say simple because I'm sure there were really hard one, but regular successes about uh, uh, that come with raising good people. And like, I don't, I don't know if it comes from the mechanics of selling office furniture or whatever, but and just having good relationships with people. No, that's, Absolutely. You just, I may never have to record another episode again, because basically you just nailed it. When everything comes down to it, I've said this in a number of different ways and with a number of different people, but like as cheesy and cliche and completely saccharine layered that this can be, like when it all comes down to it with everything, it comes down to our relationships and... For us as parents, what have we done with our children? Yeah. Not only activity wise, but what, how did we raise them and what kind of kids and adults and people contributing to society and loving other people? Like, what, what did we do to assist with that and whatever? So, oh, yeah. I, I just want to get by, make some art and like be a good person and enrich other people's lives mm -hmm. and, you know, love authentically and don't hurt anybody and i marry the love you know the love of my life and as long as you know and this might be naive as well but as long as th there's some real fortifying emotional content to cultivate with another person or people for that matter yeah maybe i work at the sign store mm -hmm. for how that's what i'm qualified to do until i cultivate some other skills mm -hmm. Okay, and that ends my first half of the conversation with Tom Keeley. I apologize, it's kind of a funky edit because we just kind of sat down and started chatting and it just kind of went from there. So I didn't want to break up the flow of the conversation by trying to insert all of the podcast ins and outs, but um, I'm very excited to have you all hear the second half of that conversation that will come out I'm shooting for next week. I know I usually do releases every other week, but I'm shooting for next week because I've got something big happening uh, the week of February 20th for the podcast that I can't really announce yet, but I'm trying to get this all out in the correct amount of time because of that. So um, keep your eyes open for that. Again, you can find Tom on Twitter. He's not incredibly active. Maybe he'll get more active, but on Twitter, he is Tom Thurs. And the band Thursday is on Twitter as Thursday Band. And you should check out Thursday.net to see they are back on tour. They have a ton of dates coming up this year. So make sure you check them out. 
see if you're able to catch them in your area this year. Again, as always, you can find Daddy Unscripted on Twitter, on Facebook, on Instagram, all as Daddy Unscripted. The website is daddyunscripted.com, and you can send me emails at daddyunscripted at gmail.com. I've been doing a couple of giveaways lately. I think I'll do one with his next episode of a giveaway of some type of Thursday product. So thanks again for listening, you guys, and keep an eye out hopefully next week for my second half of my episode with Tom Keeley. Mm-hmm.